Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Um, This is John chapter 20, NIV. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell him, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord.
Maddie. Yeah, I think there was another clap coming. Like these long passages of scripture, some of you are going to avoid me uh, emailing you or calling you or seeing you on Sunday morning. I think even Sean said recently something to the effect that you got to avoid Ellis before church or you'll end up being the scripture reader. Um, But uh, I promise you some shorter verses are coming for those of you that might not have the stamina to do what Maddie did this week and what Mabel did last week and others ahead of that. But there's so much of this teaching that had to go to the cutting floor, by the way. Like, this is a pinnacle passage, much like last week in John 19. There's so much that just had to be cut because we only had time to talk about the display of the cross and how the early church received that. And so today it's going to be very much the same. And so I say to you, journey with me. Yeah, that's why we're going to spend so much time at Easter in just a few months. It feels like it's weeks away because it's in March this year, but we're going to, we're going to um, like encounter, which is the title for the teaching today, this, uh, the depth of these chapters at the end of Matthew, at the end of Mark, at the end of Luke, and here in John, and then we're going to look into the first few chapters of Acts because there's so much in here, but there's one thing that got cut that I have to put back in, and I'm going to put it at the beginning because it doesn't fit anything else I'm going to say. But when Mary grabbed a hold of Jesus and Jesus said, don't hold on to me, I think we interpret it like he had somehow gotten holy and he couldn't be contaminated, right? I kind of remember as a kid growing up in some churches, and I won't say the denomination because some of them are listening, but this idea that Mary couldn't touch Jesus at this point, but I'm going to argue against that just a little bit here in a minute, but... She was holding on to him. Have you ever held on to somebody and just never wanted them to leave your presence? That's the grip Mary had on Jesus. Okay, and, 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 and we need to understand that when we encounter Jesus, that's the way we're going to want to feel. When it all makes sense. Because I don't believe Mary, had, it all made sense to Mary. I'm going to talk about it in just a minute. Until she got a hold of him. And then because she got a hold of him, she didn't want to let him go. So I don't know why that got to the cutting floor on my teaching, but I just said it. So now it's in there. But what do you do with a passage like John 19 and John 20 when you're going to church all your life? All right, so here's, here's the issue in the room. The majority of you know this story. You know the characters. You don't need me. You're like, okay, how are you going to teach this new when I've heard this so much? Others of you are like, don't cut it short. I've never heard it. So here's, here's, here's the two ways you need to receive what I'm going to say to you today, as well as what you heard last week. If you've heard this before, you need to get better at telling it. Follow my example. For those of you that have never heard it, please listen intently, because I want you to receive this, okay? So all of us, no matter who you are in this room, fall into either of those categories. We neither need to listen to be better at talking to others about it, or we need to hear it and understand it so that then we could be like Mary and never let, let, want to let go of Jesus, okay? So we live in a generation where whether through email or through snail mail, there are so many people that are trying to scam us. I mean, you get envelopes in the mail that look like checks from the IRS, You get envelopes in the mail that looks like somebody wants to give you $35,000. 
And then you realize that it's attached to a whole bunch of other propaganda or it's trying to draw you into a loan. You're like, oh, here's a check. Let me sign it and cash it. And then you realize, wait a minute, I got to pay, you know, 32 percent you know, interest rate on this or whatever it is. Like we live in a world where you're scammed. But what would happen if you got the mail and there was a letter from an attorney? Like it's the letterhead from an attorney. And you're like, you're looking at it like, is this fake? But you start to read this letter, and it tells you that you have a long-lost relative that decided to leave you millions of dollars. That's so crazy. That's the strongest amen that we've gotten all morning, and we sang Blessed Assurance. And it was from my wife. Um, but you read this, this attorney and you're looking at the letterhead, it feels like legit attorney letter. Like they're the only organization that still buys fancy resume paper, right? And they still send watermarked paper and they still put embossed things on there. Like it looks legit. Would you just ball it up and throw it in the trash or would you be semi-curious to step into it? Yeah, exactly, step into it. This resurrection story of Jesus is so good that you have to step into it. I don't care what denomination, what religious background you come from around the world. If you hear what has been said to us and you have any apprehension, people have tried to scam you before with religion. People have tried to lie to you about things or sucker you into something. This particular story of Jesus and the resurrection is worth investigating because the promise is so good that if it is true, why would we not want to receive it? Because this promise is about spending eternity with the creator of the world. This promise is about discovering the real intent for God, for us, man and woman in this world. This, this story is about the real intent for what it's going to look like for us to live at peace for all eternity. It's going to be about what it's going to be like for us to live at peace with our family and with friends and with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world. So this message is so good, we have to investigate it. And I would encourage you guys to do this. It was so investigated that Paul said to the church in Philippi this in chapter 3, starting in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. So John 20, the power of the resurrection. Last week, we talked about his death, which he goes on to say, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Now, mind you, I don't believe Paul wanted to die. Even though he had been beaten so many times, we talked about that last week. But his implication is, is that in his death, he displayed how God's heart is for all of us. He displayed what it really looked like to be God. God of sacrifice, God of love, God willing to lay his life down. He redefined love. And Paul's like, that's what I want. I want to look like the Jesus on the cross for others. But I want to live in the power of the resurrection. And today is about the resurrection. He goes on in verse 11 and says, And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. So he's, he's all in saying if what Jesus did and said and did and taught 
was displayed on the cross, and then he overcome it through the resurrection, then if that's all true, he said that would be true of us. So he's holding on to the fact that someday there's going to be a mighty resurrection for all of us. He was, he was believing that and desiring that. Not that I have already obtained all this. This is Paul being honest. Can we all take from Paul's example and realize there's not a one of us in here that truly looks like Jesus, but it's our desire to attain to look more like Jesus? I have already arrived. I have not. I have not obtained all this, or have I already arrived at my goal? But I press on to, to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Listen to this love. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Now listen, church. This is why we're going to James. First of the year. Forgetting what is behind. Okay, can I tell you guys? Everybody in this room has a testimony of something from behind that is keeping us from moving forward. And that is a wide variety of subject matter. And it would be so irresponsible of me as a teacher to make it seem easy like we're all asked to walk away from simple things. But there is a leaving the past and moving towards the future that impacts our mind, things we've been taught, experiences we've had, things that need to be reworked that must have its time to be dealt with so that we can move forward because the thing that we need to be, which is like Christ, is attained in our future, not in our past. It's in the future that's coming. And he says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And to all of you competitive people out there, can I just say, I just gave you your life verse. Like, there's some of you that are competitive. You don't want to lose a board game. You don't want to lose at anything in life. And let me just tell you this. If we all compete, we all get the prize. James talks about that with great instruction. I want to encourage you in that. And for some reason, I'm extremely cotton mouth. Um, uh, Andre, would you mind? In that little refrigerator out there, there's a little water. Thank you. So let me move on while I'm feeling like my tongue is stuck to the roof of my mouth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ does not offer us some vague, immaterial afterlife. It offers us a time of hope. Tim Keller says this, and uh, Tim Keller is like a modern-day C.S. Lewis, so if you haven't spent any time with C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller is a great introduction to C.S. Lewis. Thank you, Ro. Because Tim Keller quotes C.S. Lewis all the time, and this sounds very much like C.S. Lewis. The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that Jesus offers you something rational, merciful, personal, and wonderful. So listen to this again. The resurrection. Now, last week we talked about the cross. Don't want you to get confused. That's a picture of God. Now, what's offered to us because of God is resurrection, which is rational, merciful, personal, and wonderful. So John chapter 20, let's talk about this rational thing for a moment. Let's talk about this idea that um, in order to be a Christian, you can't think. You know, that's really the posture of a lot of people in the world today when it comes to Christianity. Oh, those are the non-thinkers in the world. 
Those are the ones that just believe in the mystical. They believe in like these pie in the sky thoughts. There's nothing rational about Christianity. There's nothing, you don't think and be a Christian is really this educator's world in which you're, oh, oh, you're, you're, you're one of those Christians. Oh, you have no mind. So here, let me explain this to you. Because in this text, in John chapter 20, this word for Peter and John running into the tomb and looking around is many times thought to be the Greek word blepo, which is this word that basically means to do just that, to look around. But it's really the word theoreo, which we get the word theorize. So this posture of competitive Peter and John, obviously Peter is slower than John because he outlines the fact that he got there first, even though Peter started, he got a head start. Competitive Christianity, it fits as long as we don't make it too personal, all right? So John gets there first, looks in, theorizes. Peter gets there first, blows through the door, theorizes. Why is that important? Because I want to say to you guys as a church, Peter and John were thinking. They were evaluating like NCIS on television. They were the first CSI investigators of the open tomb. They weren't running in and it being mindless Christian activity. They were looking around as like, why, is the, why are the head linens wrapped sitting here neatly and the rest of the body linens just laying this way? How is the stone rolled away? Because they're sitting here in their rational thinking and in their human condition, trying to make sense of the fact that this was not what they were expecting that morning. And if you begin to think that you don't have to think to be a Christian, you're in real trouble. Because if Christianity isn't full of evidence and if Christianity isn't full of a thinking that leads to belief in your faith, you will never make it through the challenges in your life. Because your faith is not strong enough to just solely be on a prayer. That thin cable, that thin cord is just like, it's, it, the first time it gets tugged on, it's going to snap. But if your life is rooted in evidence of truth, you can hold on a lot longer. And so when you look at Peter and John here, you're looking at them, looking at things and saying, this is valuable information of what's happening in and around here. So let me start with some rational evidence and let me look at Mary Magdalene for just a moment. Celsius was a first century writer and um, I don't know another way, a philosopher his name is Celsius. You can look him up. He was writing at the end of the first century, beginning of the second century. And he hated Christians, hated them. This isn't a positive Christian radio broadcaster. This is a guy that wanted to destroy Christianity. And one of his major targets was Mary Magdalene. Listen to what he said in one of his early writings. How can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical woman? Now, mind you, this was at one of the pinnacle moments in human history of misogynistic thinking. Okay, this is a moment where many of the women in the world were at best the head slave in the household. Okay, so but but think about this just for a minute. The resurrected Jesus meets Mary Magdalene 
as the first one to announce the resurrected Jesus. And it could have been an Achilles heel for the early church. Oh, Jesus is announcing to the world through untrustworthy individuals. And so who's going to trust a woman that the tomb is empty? So I just want you to know, this is like a hundred years after the resurrection. The early church is still being assaulted for the first people that were announcing the truth that Jesus was alive. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospel accounts have a woman announcing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I emphasize this over and over again because if Jesus wanted to have an announcement made that everything he ever said was true, why did he pick one of the most untrustworthy people groups on the planet? Now, I'm not saying that's the fact. It was a fact then. Women weren't allowed to give testimony in court even if they were an eyewitness. Wrap your brain around that. But yet we find here, as many historians, that was it not yet then brilliant to go to somebody that would have never been trusted and empower it in such a way that it changes the world, and then there's no question to the fact that there's power in it. You know, it's like when Superman returns. All right, sorry. Some of you are like, how is Ellis going from women in the first century? Hang with me. Don't laugh at me. Listen, this is how my brain works, right? So when Superman returns and everybody thinks all hope is lost, an airliner is heading for a packed stadium. And Superman grabs the, the nose of the jet and is stopping a jet from speeding to the earth just in time to touch his one toe on the, on the field and then lay the plane down in front of a stadium full of people that are, yes, yeah, and it's nationally televised. So millions more people are in their homes going, yeah, but Jesus appears to one woman. We need to praise God like children. Come on now. This early church was radically changed. I, we, we can't miss out on the fact that when Paul was writing his letters to the early church, eyewitnesses were still living. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to hundreds of people, Jesus that is. One time, 500 people at a time. And so when Paul is writing about the story of the resurrection, there would have been people that were eyewitnesses to this testimony or to this event. And why is this gospel so important? Because we don't understand because we're not Jewish, but there were people popping up every year claiming to be the Messiah, rising up to say, I'm the chosen one to set Israel free. Several incredibly popular ones gained groups of thousands, even right up to Jesus's time. And they would rise up in a revolt. The leader would be killed and their followers would scatter because they weren't the Messiah. There was no power in what they were doing. Jesus announces, does things totally differently, and then announces to a woman, now go tell your brothers. And the world is changed and there's no power in the truth. Let's rationally think about this. 
What group of people would blindly lay their lives down for somebody else, radically change what they're thinking, radically change how they're living, if it wasn't true? So much fact in order for you and I to follow after Jesus Christ. The followers of Jesus followed Jesus because there was evidence to the fact that they should. It's not blind faith. Lots of evidence. The Japanese writer Suzuku and Endo put it like this. If you do not believe in the resurrection, you'll be forced to believe what did, excuse me, forced to believe that what did hit the disciples was some other amazing event of a different kind with equal force as it's to electrifying intensity. Something must have happened to them. Maybe if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're still going to have to come up with some kind of thing that's just as amazing, equal force with its electrifying intensity. If you try to explain the changed lives of the early Christians, we may find ourselves making leaps of faith greater than believing in the resurrection. Because why else would so many people do the radical things that they did if it wasn't true? Secondly, the resurrection was merciful. Let's look at Mary in another way. Through a movie recently, made me start thinking about First Nations people, like Native Americans in our country and other parts of the world, but specifically in our country. And then Maddie and Andrew just came back from a wedding of a family member, and Andrew's brother married a young lady who has Cherokee roots and And one of the things that I love to do is read the Bible in different translations of English. And because of all of that interaction, it caused me to go back in my YouVersion app and pull up the First Nations Bible, a language that was translated into English to minister to people that um, were here first. And so listen to the equivalent of John John 20. It's out of the First Nations version of the New Testament, and the title of the chapter is, He Shows Goodwill, Tells the Good Story. Now, we're going to have this up on the screen for you to follow along because we don't talk this way to one another, and it's filled with metaphor and picture. But I want you to feel this because we need to understand it if we're going to understand how the resurrection was felt by Mary Magdalene. Early on the first day of the week, strong tears from Tower of Creators High Lodge came to the burial cave early in the morning while it was still dark. And when she she saw the stone had been removed from the burial cave, she she ran to find stands on a rock, and he shows goodwill. The much-loved follower of Creator sets free. She found them, and catching her breath, said to them, They have taken the body of Wisdom Keeper away and we do not know where he is, stands on the rock, raced to the burial cave, but the other follower outran him and came there first. He stooped low to look inside and did not go in all the way. He saw strips of cloth lying there, but the cloth that they had wrapped around the head of Creator sets free was rolled into a bundle, lying by itself. And standing on the rock, arrived behind him and came into the cave. And when he went inside, he saw the same things. The other follower who arrived first now found the courage to go inside all the way. He saw the burial cave was empty and believed. And they still did not understand from the sacred teachings that he would return from death. Then they went back to the place where they were staying. After the men left, 
strong tears from Creator's High Lodge, went back to the garden. Her heart was on the ground as she stood outside the cave, weeping. As the tears ran down her face, she looked inside. There, she saw two spirit-filled messengers dressed in white. They were sitting on one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Creator sets free had once lain. They looked at her and said, Honored woman, why do you weep? My wisdom keeper is gone, she said, and I do not know where they have taken him. She turned around to see a man standing behind her. It was Creator sets free, but she did not recognize him. Honored woman, why the tears? He said to her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the keeper of the garden, so she said, If you have carried him away, tell me where, and I will find him. Strong tears, he said to her in a soft and kind voice. She looked closer at him, and her, her eyes grew wide. Then she hugged him close and whispered in his ear in her native language, Rabboni, she said, meaning wisdom keeper. You must let me go, he said back to her. I have not yet gone up to the Father. Go to my brothers who walked the road with me and say to them, I am going up to my Father and your Father and to the one who is the great Spirit and Father of us all. Creator sets free, had chosen to show himself first to a woman, strong tears, the Creator's high lodge, the one he had set free from seven evil spirits. Strong tears then went and found the followers of Creator Sets Free and said, I have seen our wisdom keeper. She then told them everything she had heard from him. I almost feel like anything I'm going to say at this point is going to distract. One commentator actually put it this way. Mary was a very admirable woman at this point. She loved Jesus. She was passionate for Jesus. She was weeping over Jesus, but she was looking for the wrong Jesus. Even in her following of Jesus, somehow Jesus had gotten to only be like this. She could only understand Jesus like this. And the world around us wants us to limit who Jesus is. Everything about our culture, everything about the world, everything about the ways in which religion is viewed in the world is designed to limit the scope of our understanding of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until Mary realized that everything Jesus taught was actually true and she realized because she heard Jesus say that he was going to set people free. She heard Jesus teach that he was going to be the righteous judge. She heard Jesus teach that he was going to come back again. She heard all of the things that we've talked about through the whole gospel of John. But in that morning when the tomb was empty, the limited Jesus in her mind that he only breathed and was a man was what was limiting her so much so that she was standing in his presence and she's asking him questions because the man standing in front of her was beyond her ability to understand. And her eyes, I love that translation, her eyes were widened. How many of us in here today just need to hear your name? Like, he's going to say it. Strong tears. Like, not the earthly name, you know, like, you know, you have a normal name like Bryant, not like Kobe. 
you know. It's like you, you, you're referred to with your spirit name. Strong tears. And you know it's personal because you know that's who you really are. And so the resurrection shows us that Jesus is incredibly gentle. So when you investigate the facts, you're going to find a gentle Jesus. You're not going to find the Jesus that's looking to show off in front of stadiums. You're going to look for a Jesus that's going to want to call you by name. She would have never found Jesus on her own because she was just too limited. So in Mary Magdalene, we see the entire story of God throughout all the Old Testament and New Testament. He is looking for us. He's pursuing us. And in pursuit of us, he's calling us out by who we are individually so that corporately we could be the full body expression of him. And we find that here. Jesus comes to us and opens up our eyes. And I love the fact that Mary Magdalene, who once had seven demons, you can read about it in Luke 8, cast out of her, which at worst or best, not sure how, in our world today, could have been like a schizophrenic walking the streets where they're talking to themselves or, you know, even if that's the only scope at which you can understand where Jesus met Mary Magdalene before he set her free. It's like we find a Mary Magdalene that would have never been referred to as the pillar of the community. We find somebody that knew they were weak and Jesus made them strong. And would that not be what we should look like today? I love that he says to her, Mary, because he loves personally, because last week we talked about how he loved expensively, and she felt it personally. And so this goes back to where we started, and we're going to come back to the Blessed Assurance song, so I just want to invite our worship team to come back up and I believe that's what we said we were going to sing, right, Summer? And so as we step into that song and we get ready for the Lord's table, I want to go back to where Thomas, we didn't have time to get to Thomas, but poor Thomas. After Thomas investigated, and by the way, Jesus was okay with the investigation. He was okay with people looking into it to be able to, with integrity, say, let me tell you what I've seen. Let me tell you what I've heard. Let me tell you what I've experienced. But Thomas actually at the very end, if you could catch it when Maddie was reading it, says what I believe is the prayer for all of us today, whether we've said it once or we've said it a thousand times, my Lord and my God. Because the resurrection proves that he was both. The resurrection proves the invitational relationship to whom we're invited into friendship. He is my Lord. He has the ability to tell me what to do. He is my God. He's the one that actually created all this. Like He is all of that. And so if you've never had that Thomas kind of statement, you are my Lord, you are my God, I just invite you today to make that kind of a statement where you might just say, Jesus, you are Lord. You just announce that with your mouth. You just say, I, Lord, I give you my life. This is what Thomas was saying here in this room. And I believe there's plenty of evidence to say that we should do this. 
And so I want to encourage us to come to the tables, but I'm also going to ask that we come to the tables with a little bit of restriction today. So let me explain this to our regulars. I would like for the table to be no more than five or six people, but no less than two. We don't need groups of 15 or 20. I want it to be a little bit more personal today. As you come to the table, like three on a side, you know, maybe two on the end caps, maybe make it eight, but that's about it. I want you guys to come and look at one another and remind each other what is true about Jesus Christ because we have evidence. We're not blindly following Jesus here today. There's plenty of facts that we can look at, and this table is a part of that. We can look at one another like his body was broken, his blood was poured out, and we announce this until his coming. So this is how he said to love, we love this way. This is how he said to share his story, we share the story this way. And so we all come to the table. The script is on the little photo album or photo frame that you can look at, but you can look at one another, dip your bread into the cup, hold it, look at one another, walk through his body, his blood that was shed for us, and then we all announce the great mystery of our faith together that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. So no less than two. No more than six or eight, but let's not come in mass. So, Lord, we come to you right now because we believe. But help us with our unbelief. Father, we come to you right now because you put a mighty display on in Mary Magdalene, our sister in the Lord. And because of her great testimony, we've heard a, an announcement of good news. So, Father, we want to walk in the power of the resurrection, but we want to live in the same suffering of Christ. So, Father, help us to take all of the cross and to take the story of the empty tomb and make that our lives as Christ lived. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus through the Holy Spirit do the deep work that only he can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching, and may God's grace and peace be with you.